All right. Well, we are um, glad you're here. I'm Steve Hambrick, lead pastor of Vintage. This is your first time here. We are really glad you're here, and thanks for being here. Thanks for engaging. Uh, I see one of our college students, Caitlin Home. Hey. Um, yeah, you're sitting in different seats. I didn't recognize you over there, so good job. All right. Um, who's sitting in your seat? I can kick them out. I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, no, we are uh, just an exciting time uh, at Vintage. Um, it's, it's this season we've been talking about this momentum, right? The momentum. We're going after Jesus together. We're believing for momentum. We've heard the Lord say, I want to bring momentum at Vintage. And we spent several weeks talking about that, exploring that, and talking about believing God for that and what that looks like and what that means. But we shifted. Remember last week, we literally kind of shifted gears and said, all right, that's great. We've talked about momentum. Now let's talk about the primary act that we give ourselves to that ultimately produces momentum, honestly, in every area of life, your personal life, your marriage, uh, in, in your relationship as a parent, whatever it may be. But secondarily, we also believe it creates this primary act we give ourselves to. It creates momentum in the body of Christ. Like it, it is the thing that we give ourselves to. Listen, here, just real quick, focus. The primary act that we give ourselves to, that you give yourself to, that ultimately brings about spiritual momentum in your life and the life of vintage is giving yourself to a life of prayer. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you've heard someone talk about and say pray or prayer so many times you almost kind of put a wall up and say, I know, right? I think the question I always look at and the thing I always process is, does my life produce the fruit in prayer that Jesus produced? And I look at that and go, oh, there's definitely room for growth. That's good. I'm not beating myself up for that. I'm just saying, oh, I still have things to learn I still have things to invest into. I still have things to engage in this. So, Jesus, would you help me? We're making that shift. Now, Francis uh, Chan, a lot of you have heard of Francis Chan. He, Chan, he, he, he wrote a book called Letters to the Church. It's, uh, I would say it's just a prophetic utterance. It's kind of his thoughts, things that, are, that God kind of produced in him and his own time of prayer. And I'm going to just quote him. And he was talking specifically about churches and church leadership. But he said this in his, in his book. I thought it was profound. He said, I would rather hire someone who, who prayed and did nothing else than someone who worked tirelessly without praying. I would much rather hire someone who prayed and did nothing else than someone who worked tirelessly without praying. That sounds pithy and great, but recognize the implications of that. He goes on to talk about pastors and said, pastors who are not drawn to prayer, they just should not be pastors. Like, I think the point I'm getting at, we talk about these pieces that he's talking about these things, and I, and, I, and I agree, because there's something about the nature of prayer and the life of prayer and those who pray that there's something unique and different about them. There's something unique and different about people who give themselves to prayer, but I would even say this on a much larger scale, there is something about churches 
and about movements and churches who ultimately give themselves to prayer. There's something different about those churches, something different about those people. Last week, we focused on the disciples. We looked at them in Luke 11 when they came to Jesus after watching him and and said, hey, will you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to pray? You see, they had seen the prayer life of Jesus. Pull up those verses for me, Josh, from Mark. I think they're Mark and Luke. Are they on there? There we go. No, they there. Here we go. Thank you. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. Mark watches him do this. Right? Mark is watching him. You know how it is. You know the the first person up in your house starts moving around, kind of wakes you up, and you look to say, what are they doing? Right? And Mark sees Jesus and goes, oh, it's Jesus. He's getting up very early in the morning. God, it's still dark outside, Jesus. And he left the house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke, Luke again, right, having heard, like, Luke, Luke present here, he's saying in verse, uh, chapter, chapter verse 16 and verse 5, chapter 5, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Like, we look at these, and disciples saw him, and saw him as a level of inspiration. Like, as we read through, and we read through and talk about prayer, and talk about the life of prayer, like, we see the life of Jesus as an inspiration, and in Luke 11, they say, so we've seen these things, will you teach us how to pray? And he did. He taught them how to pray, and, and they did. Here's the thing. They learned to pray like Jesus, and they had fruit in keeping with the life of Jesus. I love it in James when, when James says in chapter 5 says, Elijah, and there's the comma, who was a human being just like us, comma, prayed, and it did not rain. See, the beautiful piece is we, and they would have especially seen Elijah as this unique and, and, and kind of distant human being from them who was highly anointed of the Lord, and, and he was so other than, and James says, no, he was just a human being like you. So when it says that Jesus came and prayed, we're like, yeah, Jesus in his, his own little boat over here, he's God, but he then taught his disciples who were human beings just like You, he taught them how to pray, and they learned, and they expressed the exact same type of fruit and momentum that Jesus expressed and produced in his own life. And so when we talk about Jesus, Jesus says this, and this is kind of what he would say to you, hey, I've only come to do things to show you that you can do them too. Nothing that Jesus did was because he was Jesus. It was because he was a human being empowered by God's spirit. Everything that he did, we can do. We see it happen in disciples who were human beings just like you. Everyone say this, I can pray like Jesus. And so in this morning, I want you to see, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. He taught, they learned, and they did. Last week, we built, an, we built an acronym, again, from Luke 11, which was the Lord's Prayer. We built this acronym from the word pray to help us learn, right? 
Basically, I believe the acronym captures the presence of how Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. You see it right here, P-R-A and Y, right? My bold commitment to you is this. Hear this before, it's even, before you even focus on the screen. My bold commitment to you is this. Fully engage the principles of this acronym, and in time you will produce in prayer the same fruit as Jesus and his disciples. P, pause, R, rejoice, A is act. And why is yield? I stole this from Pete Grieg. It's his book, How to Pray. We have it for sale today outside. You can buy it before you leave. Pete Grieg was the founder of this 24-7 prayer movement in England, in London, birthed the exact same week as the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, and they had no idea either or the other were doing it at the same time. Right, a movement of God. 24-7 prayer movement started in America and in England the exact same week. It may have been the same day. I'm just giving them grace for the entire week because I can't remember what the book 20 years ago, right? But it's like, it was so profound, like the saint God's doing something, right? But he started to, this guy knows how to pray. So he writes this thing, he says, I just do this, I just do the acronym. I just pause when I come before the Lord, I then rejoice before the Lord, I then ask through petition and intercession, and then I talk and I pray yielding. It's what Jesus did. It's just the Lord's prayer kind of broken out for you. This is what the disciples did. And so in this, right, we have this beautiful acronym. It's super simple. As we do it, I promise you, I promise you, as you do it, you begin to produce the fruit that Jesus produced. And so again this morning and focusing on the first week, we're looking at the word pause, the P. Again, pause is taken from Jesus' words in Luke chapter 11, verse 2. Jesus comes and says, so when you pray. The word when, we all understand, represents a time and a place, right? A time and a place. So when, it represents a time, something that you're doing, you're engaging. So Jesus is coming here in this statement, and it speaks honestly to the natural, this is the practical nature of prayer. You have to consciously choose it. You have to stop what you were doing and pray when. You're going about your life, and all of a sudden, but when you stop to pray, When you stop to pray, I don't know about you, but my life is marked by busyness. My life sometimes seemingly is marked by some level of chaos, right? And to slow down, to turn my attention away from responsibilities, to focus on my relationship with Jesus. I don't know about you, but for me, it always takes intentionality. It always takes intentionality. There's always, I'm in the busyness, I'm in the hecticness, I'm doing things, but when? It speaks to the intentionality saying, but now I need to stop what I've been producing. My to-do list makes me feel very important and gives me value in life. And stop to give myself to what's most important. It creates and demands intentionality. That's why Jesus says when you pray, he knows it requires a choice to slow down and talk. It doesn't happen apart from you choosing it. So our first step in pausing is to choose to stop. And I think so often... That's the hardest thing. It's choosing to stop. But it's required. It's the nature of the pause. So when you stop to pray, 
when you pray. I would say if there's anything I can invite you to this week to to be like Jesus, write it down on your to-do list. Choose today to stop. And then make sure at the end of the day you have that to check off your list. Maybe even put in choose to stop twice today. And then do it. That's the first place. So our first step in pausing is choosing to stop and pray. The second step is to slow our whole self down or our whole selves down and then to center our whole selves on Jesus. All right? Slow our whole self down and then center our whole self on to Jesus. The slowing down for me and the slowing down self speaks to like my mind, my will, and my emotions. I'm sure you're not like me at all, but my mind's always racing, right? I stop to pray and my mind goes, bing, over here to something I haven't thought about in 25 years, right? One of my favorite things, I was reading Experiencing God by Madame Guyon 20 years ago. I encourage you to read her. She's crazy, right? Loves Jesus. Had a great deep prayer life. But she said this, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase just a little bit. This is how I received it. But it's basically what she said, kind of put it in my own words. It was really like in the 1600s. She said this. She said, when you find yourself in prayer and you are focused on Jesus, and then all of a sudden your mind wanders, maybe even to something that is sinful and gross, just say, sorry, God, my bad. You turn and you kind of laugh to yourself, and you turn back and say, I'm now focused on you again, and he will bless you, receive you, and you'll keep on going. Okay, you see, I'll paraphrase. That's basically what she was saying. She's like, we beat ourselves up and stop praying because we're beating ourselves up over our mind when God's like, I'm just glad you came back. Right? I'm just glad you came back. I'm just glad you decided to come back and stop focusing on, let's not do it again. But hey, you know, I'm glad you're back. And so my point is like, I'm like, oh, so when I found myself wandering in prayer every time I pray, I go, oops. I literally say, oops, I'm sorry. <laughs> come back and do that and keep on praying. Every time now for the last 20-something years. Super helpful, super profound, right? Because the idea, I'm slowing my whole mind and my will and my emotions down, right? Hear those words, my mind my will, and y'all, this is hard, but my emotions. Have you, ever, have you ever told your emotions to just take a chill pill, settle down, focus on Jesus? These are practical things, right? Just slow down. Ask Jesus to help you slow down, right? And you do that. It's like, Jesus, I can't do this. Help me. And he will. But you're, you're choosing to pause. You're choos- choosing to slow your, so- your whole self down. And then you're choosing to center. So the nature of being scattered is I'm scattered here. So I take all of those things and release so I can just focus here. I always think all the time about with this idea of pausing. I, I, I just have this picture of like Olympic runners, specifically the sprinters. Like, you know, those before those races and they're all kind of lined up and the camera kind of just pans. They start with one and they tell you this person's name. They tell you all their accolades and how great they are and what country they represent or what school they represent, depending if it's like NCAA or if it's just national, whatever it may be. Right. And you see them. And, and, and what are they doing? They're always slowing themselves down and centering, aren't they? Every single one of them, they're like, I don't have muscles that jiggle like theirs. If I did, you know what it was, right? Like they're sitting there jiggling, their muscles are going blah, 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 right? And they're like, oh, right? And they're, and they're, and this person's like, just got this like death stare, but they're not death stare. They're looking right 
at the finish and they are visualizing the entire race to focus on what it's going to take to win and completely pushing out all of the distractions of the moment. The only time they even recognize anything is when their name is said, like, like this again, right? They're just totally focused in the moment, doing their thing, focus, slowing down. They're pausing the moment, slowing down, because I will say this. If a person, basically the, the race is won or lost before the starter's gun goes off. Because if they are completely distracted, completely disconnected from their race and are not engaged, they're not going to run. They're not going to respond to the starter's gun. They're not going to run the race they had planned to, to run. It was all based off of their ability to pause in the moment, slow themselves down, body, soul, and mind. To engage, like the mind, will, and the emotions, to engage the race and, quote-unquote, to get in the zone. And the idea of distraction, just so you know, we're all in the same boat. If it makes you feel any better, all of us, the greatest battle to an effective prayer life are distractions. Just so you know, every single person next to you, everybody looking around the room, stop looking at me, and go, oh, they struggle with distraction, they struggle with distraction, they struggle with distraction too. Every single one of you do. <sighs> right? We all have those moments. We all struggle with some level of distraction. That's the greatest battle when pausing to slow down and center it. Pete Greek eloquently says, it's on the screen in, how to, in this book, How to Pray. He says, pausing is about becoming fully present in place. And in time, so that your scattered senses can recenter themselves on God's eternal presence. I'll just let you read it by yourself. Take a moment. Take that in. Pausing. I'm just becoming fully present in place, the place where I am and the time I am with God, so that all of this just and recenters on God's eternal presence. Now, I want, to, I want to have a time of confession this morning. Time of confessions. And the confession has nothing to do with me. I'm going to confess some things on behalf of my wife this morning. It's going to be fantastic. No, 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 I'm not worried. It's going to be great. Nothing could go wrong, guys. It's a confession from my wife this morning, right? If you ask my wife, and Sarah can attest to this. Sarah, you're going to agree with this, babe. Randall claims to be the world's greatest multitasker, Amen. right? Randall claims to be the world's greatest multitasker, right? I come in from a long day. I sit down in front of her. I begin to share all of my deepest, darkest secrets, every wife's dream, right? I come in and share everything about my day and to confess all my sins before her. And she has two things going on. One is her phone like this, right? And her computer sitting right here, right? And I'm like, bam. She's like, she's like I'm just multitasking. I mean, every word you're saying, right? And so she's sitting there doing that. And so I'm like, okay, I don't believe you. So I'll just do, I'll play a game. I'll play a game every time. I'll start talking. Well, yeah, the, yesterday, today, da da, 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 And then I'll stop talking. And I'll start counting. Da, 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 zero. One. Two. And then she'll go, I'm listening. All right? <laughs> 
I've gotten her to five before she even realized that stopped talking, right? Because the reality is this, and all of us do this. It's not just Randall, but all of us do this. We live in this place with distractions that we think we can do more than one thing at a time. And literally in the last 10 years, science has proven through multiple tests that you literally cannot multitask and be 100% focused on two things at one time. The nature of giving myself to one thing is that I'm not giving myself to this thing, right? And so in that you can't multitask. It's impossible. Meaning, whenever you come into any relationship distracted and giving yourself to more than one thought at one time, you're not fully centered and engaged in the person who's sitting in front of you. It's just science. It's just science. And so in this, in this, we can't be fully present, again, with more than one thing at a time, which means, and I think this is on the screen, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Every, go ahead and put it on the screen for me, Josh. There you go. Every healthy relationship requires the intentional act of removing distractions and focusing on the person in front of you so you can be fully present and active in the conversation, right? Again, every healthy relationship Your relationship with Jesus, your time of prayer being fully centered on him requires the intentional act of removing distractions, focusing on Jesus in front of you so you can be fully present and active in the conversation. I would say it this way. The only way you can express love to the person across from you is removing all of your distractions and pretending like multitasking, knowing it's not real. And doing that with Jesus Doing that with Jesus, being fully engaged, connecting, recognizing, and being honest about the things you're wrestling with. Listen, my dad you know, owned a boat business. Y'all all know that for 20-something years. And in the height of his season, which was usually stretched from like March to about July 4th, after July 4th, boat sales stopped back in the day. He would, I would say, hey, what was it like today, man? He said, I had to wake up an hour earlier today. Because it took me at least one hour to disconnect, to get solely focused on Jesus because I've got so many things going on. And all of us are going, I can completely identify with that. And it's not just distractions from work. It could be distract. Listen, I don't know about you, and I love my kids, but they become a distraction. My gosh, I hope they're doing okay. And I got to go to 3 a.m. last night on Fine Friends. What is going on with her? My gosh, right? Whatever it may be. It's like, you know what I'm getting out, parents with college kids, and you're following, like, oh, my gosh. Like, you're just aware of what's going on. The start, the heart of starting prayer is being intentional, saying, I'm going to remove distractions. So Krieg goes on and says something I think we'll all resonate with. I know that I do. And I think this speaks to the reality that all of us lie to ourselves about our distractions. He says, prayer can easily become a frenetic or frenzied extension of the manic way in which I live too much of my life. Distracted and driven, I step into the courts of the king without, now I added these words, altering my thoughts or emotions, without slowing my pace to match the pace of Jesus. Now I will say I added that last piece about match the pace. I didn't like where his sentence went, so I changed it to what I think he actually meant, right? But I don't slow my pace to match the I'm just confessing, right? To match the pace of Jesus. I just fixed his bad sentence. You're welcome, Pete. Now, like, and I think all of you experience, I can't, I, 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 listen, I, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been at home 
I've been at home, and one of my three walk in. I don't care if it's Anna Catherine, I don't care if it's Sarah, or I don't care if it's Randall. And I'm in my peace, like, like, I mean, I just, I'm in my peace, my place of peace and of rest, right? And all of a sudden, one of them comes in like the Tasmanian devil from Bug Bunny, like this, right? And I'm like, ah, 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 what's going on right here, right? And they're just like, like, like they're frenzied and they're overwhelmed and they're like anxious and they're like, whatever it is, right? And all this peace. And, and all of a sudden, what happens that impacts me? You see, because the pace of the person who walks in the room affects the pace of the people who are in the room. We listened to Brene Brown talk about that two weeks ago on the way down to Florida, on the way to Florida. She said she was talking to this woman who's much smarter than all of us who was talking about, she's like, yes, the nature of our, 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 what's going on inside of us when we walk into a place, whether it's our coworkers, whether it's our family, whatever we are carrying into that room impacts the room where we are. Have you ever experienced that yourself? And so the point is, when we come into these places and we're frenzied and we're, we're, we're overwhelmed and we're anxious and we're all these things coming into the room, like it doesn't affect Jesus, right? Because he is unaffected by these things, but definitely impacts and affects the relationship that we have. I think it speaks to like what we see with Martha and Mary. Remember Martha and Mary and Lazarus are at their house. The disciples have come to hang out and they're having this powerful, powerful Jesus moment. Mary is literally sitting at his feet, just absorbing everything coming in. I have to assume the disciples are doing the exact same thing. And then everyone looks around, and the only and the person impacting the room and creating a pace that's unhealthy is Martha. And so Jesus, with great compassion, looks and says, Martha, let's look. Look. Look at the pace of what's going on right here. You're anxious and worried like you're, you have these control issues that are going on in the moment, whatever it may be, and I want to release you from those, and I want to invite your pace to match the pace of everyone in the room. Because here's the point I want to say. In this place, he was available to her, but she would not let herself be available to him. Do you hear that? The pace that she was living at, Jesus was available to her. But the pace that she was living at and the mental ascent that she was living at and this thought scattered, frenetic that she was living at just kept her from being available to Jesus. People come to me all the time and say, why can't I hear God's voice? The first place you always start is to ask yourself, when I come into his presence, do I come in at his, do I slow down and stop long enough to gain his pace or do I come in demanding that he respond to mine? And people don't hear God's voice, connect with Jesus deeply many times because they come in at such a pace that Jesus is like, I just can't speak to that because you're so distracted. And that's not to say, and I don't want, here's the thing. If I said, raise your hand, you feel like that defines you, every single one of you would raise your hands. So it's not just certain types of personalities that are like this. All of us do this in some form or fashion. But the invitation, hey, when you pray, it's okay. Gain my pace. Stay until your thoughts are centered. Stay until the frenetic goes away. Stay until all these pieces scattered and distracted just slow down. Do you feel that? 
an invitation to us. Pausing, slowing down, and getting quiet before him is necessary. We must match pace with Jesus, right? I would say this. Go back and read it, because here's the thing about it. If you've ever noticed, Jesus, listen, Jesus was never in a hurry. Everything that's ever convicting about reading the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is Jesus never once got in a hurry. In fact, Martha and Mary both got mad at him because he didn't come in a timely manner to keep Lazarus from dying. Remember that little girl who died and the person from the house came and said, hey, I've been sent to tell you you were running late, you didn't get here early enough, and the kid died. Jesus goes, that's okay, I'll just pray, I'll just heal it from here. (laughs) Right? Fantastic. He was never in a hurry. He was never in a hurry. It's powerful. And so in this, it's easy. Listen, let me catch myself. And it's here while, because I want to pause, and again, I want to be graciously honest. When talking about prayer, it's important to recognize, again, it's both easy and hard. Prayer is both easy and hard. It's easy because it's simply doing the thing you do every day, which is connect and talk to people. So if you talk to people, then you can talk to God, which means you can pray. So it's very, very simple. But it's hard. It is hard because everything in our culture naturally pushes you away from it. Busyness, the need to perform, your own self of self, your own sense of self-importance, the infinite distractions, the limited time that you feel like you have in life, right? Prayer is hard because it's counter to the culture in which we live. And if we're honest, it feels counterintuitive. So the busier I am, the more quickly I should stop to pray, yes. So I've got so much going on. I'm so important. I'm so busy. You think you can do it by yourself then? The more important you are, the more important it is you pray. Because if you try to do it, you're going to burn out and die. You've got to stop and pray. It's totally spiritually intuitive. But in pausing, and here's the beauty about pausing, in pausing, it's where, listen, it's where we experience quietness. We become capable of hearing and experiencing God most fully because in spiritual quietness, our spiritual senses are heightened. It's super practical. Have you ever just stopped sometime, let's say outside, maybe even just on your back porch or even on your front porch, and you just let yourself get quiet and then try to connect with every sound that you've not been hearing? It's profound. All of a sudden you recognize, oh, those birds are really pretty and kind of loud. You'll recognize your neighbor's little whatever that is, is super annoying and distracting you. The other morning I woke up, this is like three, about three or four months ago, and I'm sitting there, I woke up early, it's still dark outside, and I'm like, oh, it's just so quiet in my house. And I just started, like, I started, just got, got quiet, started listening to the quiet, and all of a sudden I heard something. And I'm like, oh, what was that? And I hear a bark from a dog. And I'm like, oh. And it comes again. And I realize the dog's been barking the entire time. All right? And also I start getting annoyed. Well, whose dog is that? It's 6 a.m. in the morning. How dare that dog be barking? I can't even focus on anything else right now. All I can focus on is the dog barking. Wouldn't you love to say that all I can hear in my quietness now and everything else is the voice of Jesus? That's what quietness allows. We all of a sudden, in our quietness, all of a sudden now become in tune. I would just say to some of you, you're not hearing God's voice and you're frustrated 
because you haven't matched pace to allow quietness to enter. So all of a sudden your spiritual senses become alive and awakened so you can connect with him. And real practically, I'll say it may take you an hour to do that right now. But when people, but as you practice it, it goes from an hour to just a few seconds sometimes, even the busyness of the hecticness of your day. Maturity, all of a sudden something you practice becomes easier. That's the whole point. All right. Um, yeah, we see a couple of scriptures. You know these, Psalm 37, 7, 46, 10 on the screen. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Why? So you won't fret when evil people succeed and carry out all sorts of wicked schemes. They're just so frustrated. Then be still. No need to go fight. No, just be still and know God in the moment. That's why he says in 46, 10, be still. Stop. Okay, match my pace. And then you will know me. All right. I'll never forget when this truth came alive. I'm just going to just go through this real quick. Um, 1 Kings 18 and 19. Remember the story? It's Elijah versus the prophets of Baal that Jezebel had sent. She was the queen. And, and, and Elijah wins. He calls down fire from heaven, consumes the sacrifice. Yay, God wins. It's a great moment. Jezebel comes and says, I'm going to kill you. And he went from faith to faithlessness. Going, oh, my gosh, he's going to kill me. And he runs off and hides in a cave in a mountain. All right? Great moment. By the way, forgetting college, I read this, and this is the very first time quietness came alive to me just by reading Scripture. It says this, the Lord said, verse 11, chapter 19, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle Whisper. When Elijah heard it, he recognized it, added that part, but he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Right? I remember reading the scripture and thinking about Elijah and thinking about his life. And I thought to myself, I don't know about you, but I, I live in a church world that celebrates the wind and the fire and the earthquakes but rarely talks about the whisper. Yes, God produced the earthquakes. God produced the wind. He produced the fire, but he wasn't in them. He was only in the quietness of the stillness of that gentle whisper in the moment. And I'm just telling you, it is very rare that God yells. It just is. And in this moment, I recognize I'm part of a church culture that loves to celebrate the wind and the fire and the earthquakes. God, I want to be a man who celebrates the whisper. I want to be a church of the whisper. Quieting and stillness and stilling ourselves before God is necessary. Here, this is the last part I'm almost done. It's necessary because it kills our selfishness and it kills our control issues. Pete Greig says it this way. I think it's on the screen. Yeah, stillness. Stillness at the heart, excuse me, at the start of prayer time is the moment of surrender in which we stop competing with God. We relinquish our Messiah complexes and we resign from trying to save the planet. Can you feel that? 
Like, we feel like I don't have time to pray because I have to, I have to, I have to. But as we stop to pray, it's saying, God, okay, oh, they're going to make it without me, God? Can this thing handle me not being involved in it, God? Oh, my gosh, so these people are going to not like me, God? And he goes, I can take care of all of that. If you'll just trust me, prayer is always an exercise of trust. To trust that God is capable, he's able, and he will. It relinquishes our Messiah complex like we have to make things happen in our own strength. It reminds us, oh, I need Jesus, which means they need Jesus, and he's the Messiah, and I'm not. Only he can save them and save the world. So, God, I will relinquish my control, hand them over to you. That's actually freeing God because... God, would you just move? And so we pray for God's movement in their life rather than trusting our own movement in their life. That's the place God's call is to pause. God's call is to stop. Listen, he doesn't say, hey, stop, you idiot. Right? If you ever hear God call you an idiot and you think he means it, he doesn't. If he ever says that, he's just joking around. My greatest, listen, I know a person is mishearing God's voice when it's just covered in shame. And they're using their own lens of how they treat other people and how they view themselves to hear God's voice. He's not shaming them, not shaming you. Okay? So, I had a whole thing I'm not going to do on centering prayer, but I encourage you to buy Pete Grieg's book, How to Pray. He has a beautiful piece on, on... on how to like center ourselves in prayer. I'm not going to even give you the details of it. I'll probably put it, I'll, I'll do this this week. I'll put it into an email that goes out to Vintage that has my words in it. It's just a style of prayer that's been around for thousands, a couple thousand, not a couple of thousand, over a thousand years called Centering Prayer. It's just a way and exercise that you can give yourself to that helps you, okay? So I will put that into an email. You can look for it the next couple of days by Tuesday uh, for sure, and then you can begin to engage that. But I'm, here's the invitation. Um, whoever's leading worship can come. You can come. And, and here's what we're looking for this morning. Now, go ahead and bring the lights down for me, Joshy. I just want to, right now, as they're coming forward, everybody just close your eyes. Take a deep breath and then release it. And I just want to invite you just to focus on Jesus. Jesus, I just ask for as we sit here in this moment, would you, would you put your finger on the things we've talked about this morning that you, with great love and great desire and longing, simply want to shift in us so that quietness and stillness can be awakened, so we can be aware of you. In Jesus' name, I just release shame. Oh, my gosh, I've been missing God for the last 30 years. God, I'm so sorry. I forgive you, he says. Now just start doing it. It's super simple. I want you to take time and just honestly before the Lord, allow him to kind of put a commitment before you this week.
hey, this is what I how about we do this this week? How about how about you? And I'm not even going to say a word. I'm not putting on you, but but why don't you stop here? And I will help you because I know it's so hard to just stop in the middle of all you're doing. And then commit to that time. Turn your phones off. Trust that the Lord will take care of your kids. Will take care of your moms and your dads. Will take care of the business for you. Focus on Jesus. Make that time. As we worship this morning, I invite you, you can just... Sit in this place, but with worship happening behind you, just connect with him. And use this as the morning you say, you know what, Jesus? I do believe that I'm a human being, just like the disciples. And I do believe that I can learn how to pray and experience the fruit and the momentum that you've experienced, the disciples experienced, and so many other great men and women of God who have walked with deep prayer lines over the last couple of thousands of years. So Jesus, come and have your way.